0: This is Daniel Fajella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. It's Thursday, so that means it's our Making the Business Case episode. In Making the Business Case, we talk about AI deployment and the realistic challenges in the enterprise and opportunities and measuring the ROI of AI. This episode, we're gonna be talking about what AI readiness actually means. And we've got a guest with some excellent perspective on just that. Tim Estes is the executive director and co-CEO of Digital Reasoning. Digital Reasoning has raised an awful lot of money to apply artificial intelligence into various industry sectors, including financial services, federal, and more. Tim speaks to us about what artificial intelligence readiness means from his vantage point. So digital reasoning applies mostly in the natural language processing space, but many of the lessons will transfer no matter what you're aiming to do within your business. What is it that companies have to have as kind of ground rules, as sort of a baseline reality of their data, of their enterprise expertise, of their in-house talent to truly be sort of ready to adopt and deploy artificial intelligence With nearly 20 years doing exactly that, Tim's got a perspective that I think is worth tuning into. If you're just getting started with AI and your own journey of AI readiness, or you're helping your clients do that, then be sure to download our Beginning with AI free PDF guide. You can find that at emerj.com slash B-E-G-1 that's B-E-G like beginning, B-E-G-1 you can download that free PDF brief which is going to be basically some grounding concepts on early AI deployment that's going to help you get more out of your podcast listening and also help you help either your clients or yourself with the early phases of AI deployment, the areas where critically a lot of companies get wrong. So hopefully that resource you'll find valuable and I'm certain you'll find Tim's interview today valuable without further ado, let's hop into it. This is Tim Estes with Digital Reasoning on the AI in business podcast. So Tim, we'll kick things off and get your perspective on what AI readiness means. When an enterprise says, well, we want to become AI ready, we want to start using AI, what kind of components have to go into that?
1: Yeah, well, I think the first thing is you have to have infrastructure. And that sounds so basic, especially with the cloud. But the larger enterprises it requires a good functioning process to allocate infrastructure, whether on-premise or in cloud, and then data governance of where data can be used for training and validation around any process that's gonna be tested. So it's all too often that, you know, one group in an enterprise wants to try something. They aren't really the owners of the data that is required to validate what they wanna try, and they are not the suppliers of the infrastructure. So you might run into a substantial gap that could take, you know, a 60-day or 30-day pilot uh, or POC and and make it a nine-month process because you're waiting on them to sort out data governance and infrastructure availability. So those are two pieces. You know, something you said about the education side of it in terms of, you know, the sophistication you you want to build and educate yourself on to understand the difference between certain techniques. But in some ways that's overwrought. Because in the end of the day, I I'm a little bit more pragmatic. I think there's certain techniques which are better for some things than others, but like obviously the most sexy technique that's talked about the time are different variations of deep learning. Yeah. And we could go into variations, but you know, the Achilles heel is in most cases the customer doesn't have the data sets available to train, you know, a really good deep learning classifier. And so or, or you know, an engine of some kind. So I, I think that what you find actually is it's not just that they have data in general, they have to have data that's prepared a certain way, often to teach a machine that the machine can then perform the task. And that's really, you know, that, that, that's the area. So these maybe the, this question you have has, you know, a lead into some other things. But, you know, basics, infrastructure, data governance, i.e., can you pull the data you need to run the test fast? And as a as a vendor or as someone on the outside, I mean, I would be coming in and asking these questions now because I've lived through... Being, you know, wishful thinking and going yeah. in and this is really exciting CTO and they want to do this and they have a business stakeholder that wants to do this kind of application and they think we're the answer. I've been through that whole you know, dance. And then you find out that of the whole dance, that dance might take two months, maybe four. And then you wait nine months for data and infrastructure to be available in a large bank.
0: Yeah, well, not surprising at all within a large bank. Geez, you're lucky it's not a uh, 18 months or something. So you're bringing up infrastructure. You're bringing up data. Does this mean, sort of, in the process of speaking to whoever your initial champion is, your your initial kind of point of contact who you think is going to either sign the check or help sign the check, that you really have to be clear that? Sort of, of what infrastructure you need to access, of what kinds of data you'll need to access, and of the state of that data with that person and or with whoever they need to rope in, sort of as part of the process of working to a pilot. so like doing that diagnostic,
1: I guess, as you go, as you progress forward? Yeah, I think that's right. So I mean I'm naturally going to think of it more from the vendor side since that's what of course, what I am. yeah yeah, but, but if I flip the hat and I'm, I'm actually in the buyer's uh, persona. What I would want to do is – the last thing I want to do is to put a lot of energy into something that could create real value, get excited, market it internally, and then find out that getting infrastructure, you know, having a data governance process in place where we can get the data necessary to test the system is not really well figured out or you know, is figured out but has certain restrictions that make this not work. So I think that there's a good upfront investment in that. But there's a difference between that and sort of what I might call the the data lake panacea, where everyone wants to have this you know highly organized library of data with a Dewey Decimal system in their enterprise, and that's not how enterprises unfortunately function. So many IT efforts in an enterprise are responsive to business as a higher priority to integrating across business lines that you'll almost never find if you will, a pristine data infrastructure. So you really want to make sure you have the process to pull data, put it in a compute environment, do that safely and with security sign-offs. That should be enough to get moving. And so I think if you try to go four steps beyond that, you'll have a much bigger challenge and and you'll essentially be trying to boil the ocean. And I think a lot of people went down that road with all the Hadoop vendors, to be blunt. You know, the idea that they just got to spend all this money on that. And then from that, You'll end up having all this applica- these applications become so easy, and here we are five years later, and we're saying, "What applications besides rescoring my, you know, my my loan scores or some other batch structure process? that You could have probably done some other way."
0: Yeah. Well yeah, people talk about the data swamp as opposed to the data lake that was sold or what have you. <laughs> you know, Cloudera still made a lot of money, but uh but yeah, I think that's that's often the, the gripe. So what you're saying is maybe let's be more modest with initial goals. If we're a buyer, if we're assessing our own readiness, do we at least have this stuff organized enough to uh harmonize, organize, whatever? enough to train some kind of model on it? And can we get enough of a handful of this to even run a pilot? And if those are hard no's, then maybe we're just not AI ready for this particular business function altogether. And we need to either focus somewhere else or or focus on getting our
1: infrastructure up to speed. No, exactly. And and let me tell you like the cautionary tale, which is there are people that don't do that work in, in enterprises. They don't do that assessment up front. They get the vendor very far into the process. They may even think that it's going to be easy to get like the data they need. And what happens is this, they get toward the end, they've done all this work and the vendor says, well, okay, let's do this. Here's the data I need. And they say, well, we checked on it. We really can't get that data. We have this other kind of toy data over here. Can you do this on the toy data? And, you know, a hungry startup or a small vendor, oh yeah, we'll go do that. But then what you actually prove isn't what you meant to prove. And you find out that there'll be objections that come back. Well, that's not really on our data. Uh, we don't know if that's really going to work. And so you're not really that much further along than when you started. That happens more than you would expect, that people don't do that upfront work. And it sets up essentially, you know, or worse, it kind of works in that other data, but that other data is so not exemplary of what the real business process data is, that it goes to production. You almost are back to square one and you disappoint because it's like, this isn't the kind of data that we saw. Well, yeah, we didn't have access to that data. So yeah. I'm, just, I'm just pointing out, so I, I think this is a real, sure a much bigger issue than people think of in terms of readiness, even though in theory it sounds simple. It, it's not because the politics of who owns data, either the risk aversion of disclosing it to more people than you have to, or the, you know, the politics of this data has a lot of value and I want to control who gets value out of that data.
0: <sighs> yeah, that's unfortunate. But, you know, a reality that in my opinion, Tim, every vendor learns that with a bat to the face. I don't really I don't really know of any vendor that just sort of bypassed, you know, stepping on the rake there because yep. it feels like if you spin out of Amazon, you just think data is accessible and easy. If you spin out of university, you just think that your science is good enough and you'll just make it happen. But everybody that moves into a space gets hit in the face with that and then and then has to really dial back their sales process and has to be really white glove up front to handle all this kind of gunk. Do you think that in, I don't know, four years from now, Tim, that we will have less of that upfront gunk to get a POC to work, to get access to the data we need, or is it a way longer ball game than that? What are your thoughts?
1: I mean, it could be. I tend to think it is a longer ball game. I think you just have to use the, I mean, at the end of the day, the first thing the customer is always going to invest in you is the time. And them investing time, as long as they think they're getting something out of it, is not always a bad thing. Now, it costs you money and time, just like it's costing them. But generally, the the buyer is a lot bigger than you are. So that's not a a thing you can run indefinitely. So in short, I mean, I, I think that there is a long window here where... I mean, I was just thinking about, what you said a little bit about bat to the face. I, I was wondering if my bit nose is actually genetic or not. Or just, you know, <laughs> no, from no. The no, no, but, but no. From experience. No reference there. No reference no, there. No, no, no. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm just having fun with it because you know, I, I think you're right <laughs> on that. It's it's a really great <laughs> lesson learned that it's almost like no matter some, how someone tells you, you're going to learn it because you just want to believe it's easier and it's not. The area I think people are now coming around to is an epiphany. If I, can, if I can kind of pivot a little bit in this, it's, okay, let's say they have the infrastructure. Let's say they can get the data staged. And you can run whatever you're going to run on the process you want to validate. Most of the time, what you come in with has to be taught or adapted to the customer's data, i.e. the out-of-the-box, it just works. Hell no. In a non-consumer area, yeah, it yeah, just yeah, in the enterprise yeah. space, it almost never happens. No, no, no. So the next barrier becomes, do they have the data organized in any way to teach your machine or not? that is the thing that has probably broken more AI projects. And the bigger the ambition of the project, the harder and the bigger that problem I just described is. So if you go in on their you know, very public projects that spend tens of millions of dollars, and the customer will say, we didn't get the outcome we thought. And generally, it's because the expectations were set high. And they were set high by radically underestimating the availability of the data to educate the machine. To solve that, you either have to really coach the customer through that, you know, or you have to have a real answer. I mean, we, we actually don't think that's, even if you could coach the customer on it, we don't think the customer is going to move fast enough to organize our data. So we actually had to invent technology around that. So we, we found that the biggest bottleneck for us was could we have our machine learning models be taught from customer data really fast by having the AI find the data to teach the AI? So we actually went one level further, which was could we actually use AI to help build a curriculum and teach the AI of customer data, curriculum of customer data. So I so, you know, I, I don't actually know there's a really good answer to that, but I, I am confident there's a really good process answer. I think there's a technology answer to that problem. But I think that's what's going to bottle up a lot of these projects is this problem of not having the training set available to educate the machine and then having to educate the client on on how to teach the machine. We had to productize that into literally something that was almost like a game for our area. And, and I think that probably that's going to be what happens. I think it's going to solve for technology, not process in the end, actually. So.
0: Yeah. If you, uh, if you don't want to be a service business and you sell AI to the enterprise, uh, there are some news flashes that you will yep. uh, learn uh, sooner rather than, than later, hopefully, but uh, maybe more bats to the face for some of the folks tuned in. Regardless, with that being said, we've talked about infrastructure and this really pivotal concern that you've talked about around why these initial projects fail and how the bigger and more ambitious oftentimes, the more tragically they flop. A couple of things that we haven't touched on yet that um, I'd like to just get your thoughts on mm-hmm. is around sort of talent and culture. So you talk about like, well, geez, we couldn't get our hands on the data. You know, we hear of a lot of pilots failing and, and just doing, having so many conversations because enterprise leaders expect that it's plug-and-play or because enterprise mm. leaders don't realize what kinds of use cases are realistic or not realistic – let's call that like an executive understanding, there's also people don't have sufficient in-house talent. I've talked to yep. vendors who actually help their customers hire in-house data scientists to help them work with the vendor. I mean, like, and that didn't even really mm-hmm. surprise me that much because of how intense this stuff is. So there's internal talent as well. What are those other components? Infra, data, okay. What are the other things that make it work? What what else goes into readiness?
1: Well, I, I think that the the talent question really comes down to You know, what kind of buyer are we talking about? I believe there are either actual or aspirational enterprises that want to have a deep competency in AI to the level that they could build their own applications and and make it work. That doesn't mean they're going to build all their applications by any means, but it means that you're actually overcoming almost an internal competitor to most of your value propositions. And whether the competitor is real or not, meaning do they ever launch a project and fund 10 to 100 developers to replicate what you've built, it may never happen. But what happens is you're fighting a business case inside, which is, oh, we could do this, and it would be one half the cost. So I think that what I see more often is you have that extreme, which is the, you know, we can build it versus buy it. And, you know, open source and the large tech companies open sourcing such substantial advancements in technology have made that, you know, less challenging than it used to be. Meaning it's, it's actually far more true that you could build a lot. But having said that, it's almost like, why would you want to fab your own chips and build your own motherboards? It's more of a hobbyist thing to do. I think that we still have large institutions that are doing it. And so what you really want is, if you have a lane where you can make a very distinctive value proposition, what you end up doing is you end up bringing on those people as champions because you're enabling them to show value. You're saying, why spend the energy in this area? Do you really want to build a system like this and basically have your internal products? Or instead, you know, do you want to focus on what comes next? And by focusing on what comes next, you're allowing them to get ahead of their peers or match their peers. So like I said, so far left, if you will, on the spectrum is internal AI shop that's there next on the spectrum is the ones that think it's there, but it's not. And that's really challenging because- You know, because at that break, point, the, you have, break
0: the bad news to them.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's where you have a handful of experts, but not really the to implement or deliver. And so the expectations are set high. And then a lot of the load comes onto you for delivery because the talent isn't deep enough or broad enough or enough volume to actually make self sufficient, And then you go to the next level over, which is you know, they they have a curiosity. They may have a one or two experts that are there for vetting only, but they know they got to buy. They're looking for a solution, and they recognize though that it's not fully turnkey. And those tend to be some of your better customers too, because I think that that they respect how difficult it is because they already had to go through and cost out what it would do to actually build out a team to do this and make it function and deliver multiple products. And finally, like if you are the far right, you have the you know what. I really just want to check a box, but I like that it's got this AI word somewhere like, in your uh, description. Oh, yeah, man. Happens all the time. And so so I think that you have like those extremes. You've got kind of the almost like sodium matter experts that are AI enhanced in the middle. And then you've got check box checkers on the right that essentially want a little bit of, of sort of AI decoration because the idea they didn't pick something with AI when it was available makes them look like they're behind. And then on the far left, you have the we can build all of it probably better than you and we pay our people more uh (laughs) than you do and and so you you have that full spectrum i'm not trying to be i guess negative any of this no i think the talent the talent basically i'm saying i guess my point is the talent issue is not one of having it or not it's if you have the talent you can have other pitfalls if you don't have the talent you can have a set of pitfalls and so the, the truth is it's like it's all about humility of the enterprise and humility of the vendor to get to the truth and if you don't have that then I think you end up with misalignment and it creates tension until you get to an answer. Either you'll have large enterprises try to build it and then you know find they're holding on to a massive piece of technology and they have to, you know, keep all this talent happy because when that talent, I didn't say F, I said when that talent leaves to go start a company, you can't maintain the system you built. Right. And this happens yeah. in large institutions all the time. It's why, you know, generally you have commercial off the shelf software because they know that risk is catastrophic. And then the, the next over is we're gonna go pick something that's kind of demos well and has AI, and we're gonna elevate that even though we don't have any capacity to assess it internally. Because what if this stuff is not even well enterprise hardened? What if it is uh, doesn't meet, you know, more basic requirements, but it's just, you know, sexy and new. So I think in the end, talent has to align to the mission uh, that you set the team on. Hmm. But more importantly, it's the humility of whatever you really have. You could be, you know, JP Morgan have amazing people and talent. Or you could have you know nowhere near that budget uh, in another industry that has like the one person that's got uh, they have two you know, master's level in AI that have been on teams that have done NLP twice. Like you'll have that spread in the enterprise space, right? And with that spread, just know where you're at and then optimize appropriately and basically ask for humility and then expect it of the vendor too. And if the vendor you know oversells you or doesn't show the same humility, then maybe not a good partner
0: got it. So a little takeaway Tim, we'll nutshell this as we wrap up here. It sounds yep. like if I'm, you know, a leader and we've got plenty of C-level folks that tune into the show, directors, etc, uh who are looking at their own organization, they're asking the question, are we AI ready? Where do we stand? You know, we you talked about data, you talked about infrastructure, you talked about what kind of projects to pick. It sounds like another big maybe take-home point and uh, maybe you'd want to reword this, but another take-home point is understand really frankly, I guess number 1 where you are in the data and the infra but also where are you with your talent and expertise as well to not sort of have to maybe feel bigger and stronger about what you have in-house than you actually do, but be able to say, hey, look, this is what I think we're good at, what we're frankly not good at, what we have experience where I think we're not, and be able to, I guess, readiness, it sounds like really involves a readiness to assess that very objectively if you are a leader.
1: Yeah, it's self-assessment. I use a. It's a cultural thing, right? I guess I'm saying that like in many things, if we were talking about a different area than AI even, this still is true. A incorrect self-assessment leading to a misalignment is going to create issues. In AI, it can create really substantial issues because it's not very well understood yet, even by the people that are the experts. In fact, what you find with some of the deepest experts, uh, the ones that have you know catalyzed some of the deep learning revolution, for instance, you'll find humility you'll find them talking about, yeah, we're about to hit a wall here. We're really good at pattern recognition. We can do stuff we couldn't do 15 years ago. But, you know, when it comes to generalization and you know, different kinds of signals and choosing them together and uh, unsupervised learning, you know, we're just really at the basics there. Like, that's what you'll hear like a Yashio Bengio or other. Yeah, yeah, about. yeah.
0: Bengio has been on the show and, and like so five years ago.
1: Th- th- when you have those caliber of people who deserve yep. the, the credit of, or I it, you know, come at that from the perspective, like that's all I need to know, right? I mean, that that tells me that if they don't have a lot of swagger about it, then who has right to? <laughs> yeah.
0: Nice. I think that's a good point to, to end on. If if, uh, if Lacoon and Bengio aren't swagging about you know this being a done deal in terms of making this stuff work in the lab, what makes anybody think that they should carry that into a business conversation when money's on the line?
1: Yeah, so. yeah. It, it's not. It's not like I think something where you're, you 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 turn into a skeptic by any means. It's just it takes a measure of humility. It's, and once again focus on the things. Like there's all these tasks that humans spend time on right now, they shouldn't have to because where AI is today, uh, you can make effective classification of a lot of things, and you can triage and you can get a lot of multiples of human time. Like that's, a, that's an area that's highly underexploited. The RPA guys are doing a tiny fraction of that. And I mean that as a, as a credit to them, right? They've tapped into it, had a lot of success. All these other kinds of signals, whether it's language, vision, like we're just at the beginning of that automation. And then the fusing of those different triages into more complex ranking of what's important or where the risks are. That's areas which just need to be baked into these enterprises, right? And harnessing the feedback from people working on those tasks like always learning, having a learning loop, those are things that are right in the thick of the most competitive enterprises right now, so I don't want to sound like a skeptic at all. I'm just saying that I think people you know probably set you know an expectation because they're trying to market themselves, which is a very human thing to do yeah and I, I think in the end, people will be better served by you know humility I've actually ironically, when I was younger in this, I've been at this almost twenty years, I started this a twenty years old yeah. Now. I've made all these mistakes. So I say this not from any kind of arrogance, like I've already done these mistakes. And so I come at this and say, yeah, I remember when I thought it we would get from here to here and it would take, you know, two years. And not, now I'm year 10 and we've got most of it, but not all of it Yeah, on a certain problem.
0: Big time. Sure. And, and like you said, it doesn't mean that we can't solve meaningful problems with AI. It just means we shouldn't you know, take for granted where we stand or maybe over or underestimate things, but we need to look at things frankly. A worthwhile lesson for literally anybody tuned in. Tim, I know that's all we have for time in the AI readiness episode here. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Dale. Appreciate it.
0: So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, if you dig what we bring to the table here in our Use Case episodes, our Making the Business Case episodes, you should know that those two different formats are actually based on podcast subscribers like you, folks who've messaged me on LinkedIn or who've left us nice reviews on Apple Podcasts and told us what they like about the program and what they really want to see more of. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you've enjoyed the program, drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you want to hear more of, what you like most, and what kind of value you particularly get out of the show, and that's going to help me and my team continue to improve things for you and make this program better than ever in the years ahead. So pretty easy to find us on Apple podcasts every now and again. Also I'll share those reviews in our email newsletter or on my social feed and give a nice big shout out to the folks that are kind enough to share their thoughts on Apple podcasts. So again, AI and business on Apple podcasts. Also be sure to check out the AI and financial services podcast. If you're not already a subscriber to that one as well, if you love use cases um, and you're interested in how those AI is making its way into banking insurance and Wealth Management, then subscribe to that program as well on Apple Podcasts and check us out there too. That's all for this episode. I'll be catching you next Tuesday for our AI use case episode again, and we'll be getting back into logistics and supply chain. So don't miss it. I'll see you soon.